Cairo, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with the professor, Sean Clayton. And welcome to Schooled with the Professor. Uh, end of the season. We're going to look back now at the NFC West and what happened. And nobody better to talk about it than Nick Wagner from ESPN.com because Nick has covered the Rams when they were in St. Louis. He currently covers the 49ers in what's been one of the more unusual seasons. And I guess, Nick, to start it off here on Schooled, what, uh, how do you look back at this season for the NFC West? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's kind of the year that the, the division kind of restaked its claim to being the best division in football. And I think uh, when I say that, I'm talking about kind of from top to bottom. You know, it's not just about being top-heavy anymore, which, you know, you saw for some years where you had certain teams, that uh, the, the Seahawks in particular, and, and the Niners had their run where they were kind of top-heavy a little bit. But I think I think one through four, this is the best division in football. And even the 49ers in the, in the state that they've been in, the banged-up state that they've been in all year, They've got a chance to, if they beat Seattle on Sunday, be the only team that had a winning record within the actual division. They could be 4-2 in the division, uh, which kind of tells you how tough it is. They, they've, they've really beaten up on each other a lot. I don't necessarily know that the Super Bowl champion is coming from the division, but I think when you look at it 1-4, through four, it's the division that other teams would least like to have to play. Yeah, and of course, I mean, the one thing that's kind of changing, and of course, uh, which has been interesting, and you know, you have two Super Bowl teams in the last couple of years, San Francisco last year, the Rams two years ago, that have undergone a lot of change, yet stay competitive. Mm-hmm. And I know that the injury factor in San Francisco has been huge. We'll get into that. But, uh, you know, I, the division has held up really well. I mean, Arizona was good a few years ago. Now they're mm-hmm. getting good again. Seattle's starting to peak a little bit. Uh, we'll see where it goes. Yeah, I, I think, and I think that's, you know, Seattle's kind of been the constant, right? Uh, you know, that, that we've had over the last seven, eight years, uh, maybe even a little longer than that. Uh, and, I, and I think a lot of that you contribute, you can attribute to the stability that they've had uh, at the three most important positions that you can have in a franchise, which is your quarterback, your head coach, and your general manager. And uh, when you have those three things in place and you have good people in all three of those jobs, you've got a chance to be competitive every year. And I think what you're seeing now is, is you're seeing some of the other teams kind of start to establish that. Now, I don't know that that's going to necessarily be the case in Arizona. We still kind of have to see how that plays out. But there's no doubt Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan are going to be in place in, the, in, in their jobs uh, for, for the foreseeable future. And, and I, I would expect that their GMs will also be in place for the foreseeable future and, and probably their quarterbacks too, although I know we'll get into that probably. There could be changes in that regard. But I think Arizona is a, is a team that's on the rise. And, you know, we still need to maybe see a little more sample size, see them get over the hump and get back into the postseason, and they could do that this weekend. But, uh, yeah, I, I think you're seeing a kind of a reestablishment of the division overall, and, and I think that you're going to see these teams really kind of beat up beat, beat up on each other for years to come. Well, that's a great point because what you're looking at, you're right, there's going to be stability in the front office. You know, the only one, I guess, could have a change would be if Cliff Kingsbury struggles. But, of course, mm-hmm. he's got that team, you know, at a very high level. I mean, because, you know, just like last year, and you witnessed it up close, is that I thought San Francisco was going to be the most improved team in football. I didn't think it was going to go Super Bowl. And then you look at Arizona, (laughs) and I think I look at that team as being one of the most improved in football. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, it is a lot of times it is more methodical than people realize, you know, people look at the 49ers last year and say, Oh, they turned it around overnight and they don't realize that it was actually years in the making, you know, and uh, the two years before that, even if you just look at it in terms of Kyle Shanahan's purview, it was those two years before that it took them to kind of go through 
you know, go through hell basically to rebuild that roster and take a, a team that was in tatters and rebuild a culture and all those things that go in to getting you to a certain place. And uh, it is hard to jump from that to the Super Bowl, but uh, I think once you do, if you've kind of established something, it's a little easier to maintain than it is kind of trying to bounce back and forth a little bit. And, you know, you saw the Rams take a step back in their year after the Super Bowl, and now they're right back in the mix to go to the postseason. The 49ers are taking their step back this year, and I think a lot of that is out of their control. But I do expect them, if, if, if some things go their way and they make some good decisions this offseason, that they could be right back in the mix next year. So, yeah, Arizona is still a little bit of the outlier when you look at the big picture of the division. But I think if you have your quarterback, and it appears that they do, you know, I think Kyler Murray is, is really good. I know he's been banged up and struggled here towards the end of the season. But there's a lot of things that they have going for them just because they have Kyler Murray. And plus the one thing in this division is that it's, it can be bold. I mean, you know, San Francisco being able to be, you know, aggressive in trying to get Trent Williams uh, when they were losing mm-hmm. Joe Staley. You know, the Jalen Ramsey move by the Rams you know, to be able to get him. Yep. You know, Arizona getting DeAndre Hopkins. You know, Seattle yep. getting a, a great safety in Jamal Adams. Yep. Yeah, that, that's 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 really it. It kind of becomes an arms race, right? You know, when you when you look around the division and you see what the other teams are doing. Because let's be honest, Sean, every team looks at it this way. All 32 teams look at it as, how do we get to the postseason? Well, the the best way to get to the postseason is to win your division, and those are the teams that you're going to play the most. You get six games every year within your division, so you have to know what you're competing against. And I think you're seeing a lot of teams uh, kind of realizing that within the division. And, and to your point. You know, the Rams go out and get Jalen Ramsey. Well, then the, then the Arizona goes out and gets DeAndre Hopkins. So, okay, we need an elite receiver because we need to be able to, you know, mix and match and, and, and play against a guy like Ramsey. Or, you know, then Seattle, knowing that they need a little bit more star power because they look up around the division and they see more stars than, than they have on their roster. And they go and get Jamal Adams. And uh, so, yeah, and, and, and the other thing is, is the, the teams do these, all four of these teams have been willing to make those big trades. But they've also found a knack for finding those late-round gems and even undrafted guys who play a key role because, as you know, John, when you get to a certain point, particularly when you're a winning team like the Seahawks have been, like the Niners were recently, like the Rams were recently, all your, your roster becomes a little bit top-heavy in terms of the salary cap, and the only way to stay really elite competitive is you have to have those highly-paid guys play really well and then you have to have those low-paid guys be able to contribute and kind of fill in the gaps. Yeah, one one was interesting is that uh, I know that – uh, John Snyder has always been a big fan of DJ Reed. And so with all those injuries mm-hmm. at training camp at the wide receiver position, roster space was needed. So they put Reed on a waived injured part and all of a sudden Seattle yep. claimed him and now he's the starting cornerback and he looks great. Yeah. It's, and that's one of those things. Kyle Shanahan said it this week, I believe to the Seattle media that, you know, there's regrets about that, but the Niners were in a tough spot. They had so many injuries even before the season that there's only a certain number of guys that they were able to put on the physically unable to perform list. And they had, uh, you know, different designations uh, this year with some of the COVID things. And I think they hoped, I know that they hoped that they could get him through waivers and put him on injured reserve and, and stash him and keep him around. But that's one of those decisions, John, that it, there are long-term implications. Not only have you now kind of gifted your biggest rival a, a really solid and potentially very good uh, slot corner, but the 49ers' own slot corner, Kwan Williams, who is one of the best in the league, is a free agent after this year. And he's a guy you want to keep, but if you could keep him at, say, $8 million a year, or you could have D.J. Reed, a, a fifth-round pick on a rookie contract, 
you know, that's a big that's a big jump in terms of the salary that money could be spent maybe elsewhere or keep somebody else there. So there's always a trickle down effect on those kinds of decisions. And in this particular case, it comes back to bite you in multiple ways because your biggest rival uh, now has a pretty good player on their roster. Yeah, and of course it comes at a time that the 49ers, what their top four cornerbacks, including Richard Sermon, are going to be free agents next year. Exactly. Yeah, and that's and that's really the big thing is. is uh, it would have been really nice for the 49ers to have kind of a backup plan in place at at least one of those cornerback spots. And uh, I, I think that Emmanuel Mosley, who's a restricted free agent, is a guy that they'll bring back. But Jason Verrett is an unrestricted free agent. Richard Sherman is an unrestricted free agent. Akella Witherspoon is an unrestricted free agent. And Kwan Williams is an unrestricted free agent. So, uh, you know, I don't think that just given the Niners' lack of, of salary cap space and all of the free agents that they're going to have to resign, you already you already mentioned uh, Trent Williams. That's, that's going to be their top priority going to be really difficult for them to kind of make all the pieces fit and the secondary could look vastly different than it does right now next year the incredible year for the 49ers in a sense what 30 players have gone on the injured reserve list uh there's been Mm -hmm. 21 players that have been on the COVID list i mean what has happened Mm -hmm. particularly after i know that there was changes in the medical staff or at least the medical dealings after the season i mean this season from that part has been out of control yeah, it's been uh, it's been so unlike anything I've ever seen, John. And I know you track injuries very closely uh, throughout the league for many many years, and uh, maybe to you it's even uh, an outlier in terms of what they've what they've lost and what they've dealt with. And I think a lot of it, you know, it's it's always hard to say because sometimes it's just you know I think a lot of injury stuff does come down to luck, and um, you know sometimes you play on the, on on a, on a playing surface that's unusual, and you know you bend your foot the wrong way or whatever. But you know they've been really hit by a few injuries that have been kind of repetitive for them uh particularly high ankle sprains has been something that has really affected them you know jimmy garoppolo being the most notable of that group but raheem mostert's had it jeff wilson jr's had it brandon Ayuk has it so it's one of you know going back to the off season is kind of you kind of got this ominous feeling in june even and this is when the you know that they weren't able to get together for otas they didn't have their off season program and the players all got together in nashville and debo samuel broke his foot and it was kind of a maybe we didn't know it at the time, but now it really looks like kind of an ominous sign for the way the whole season played out. And, and I think in, in, in the, the way it's gone, a lot of it you wonder, is it because they didn't have that offseason together? Guys were training on their own for an entire offseason rather than having kind of that regimen of, okay, go do your own thing for a little bit, but here's what we'd like you to do, and then come back and work with our training staff and do those kinds of things. So it's really hard to, you know, you know how it is with this stuff. It's very hard to assign blame when it comes to injury stuff, but one way or the other, it's been an absolutely brutal year for the Niners, and it's the single thing that's held them back the most. And I know people sometimes want to make it more than it is, and what we do for a living, we try to dive down deep and figure out what's wrong with the team, but sometimes the simplest explanation is the correct one and I think in the Niners case the injuries thing is that <clears throat> one one thing to look at now is the quarterback position <clears throat> clearly Seahawks in great shape with Russell Wilson Kyler Murray's emerging with the Arizona Cardinals but what about Jimmy Garoppolo because I mean uh, since coming there he's almost missed half the games that uh, yeah. you know he's played uh, because of injuries and so I know that Kyle Shanahan on Wednesday came out and pretty much gave mm-hmm. a 95% endorsement that he's going to be back <laughs> and I know that uh, John Lynch went on KNBR and pretty much said the same thing but there's still that not that's not a hundred percent that he's going to be the starting quarterback now next year yeah i think i think the 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 main point that kyle shanahan has tried to get across is is that you know the niners are always going to at every position and this is what every team should do is look at what their what their options are if there is a a a surefire upgrade that's available to them 
I think it's something the 49ers are going to take a look at. And if for no other reason than, you know, Kyle Shanahan, the one thing he he was kind of asked about that he talked about was Jimmy Garoppolo's contract, which he's going to have $27 million cap hit in each of the next two years, which actually isn't that much. I believe next year it would be like the 11th highest, something like that, 11th to 13th highest in the league. And that's not really too much, asking for too much for a quarterback who probably, if you rank the starting quarterbacks, ranks somewhere in there, you know, 14, 15, 13, somewhere in there. And, and so that's not too big of a trade-off. The trade-off happens when you have a guy who's making that much money and has the injury issues. When you have someone who's missed 23 out of a possible 48 regular season start over a three-year span. And the thing for them, John, is the 49ers roster is too good to throw away entire seasons because their quarterback's not healthy, because they have to play a backup quarterback. And I think they know that. So to me, I think the options are pretty clear, and I think the most likely outcome to this is that Jimmy Garoppolo is back next year and expected to be the starter. But I do think that they're going to invest a lot more in somebody behind him and most likely maybe a relatively high draft pick, potentially even a first-round pick, because they could keep Jimmy Garoppolo and it wouldn't preclude them from doing something like that if somebody fell to them. Or maybe they got into the late first round where you get yourself that fifth-year option, whether it's a move back or a move up, something like that. I think that is probably the scenario that plays out the most. But to me, the only thing that I think that they could do in a surefire way where they would move on from Jimmy Garoppolo is if there was a definitive veteran quarterback who they could get who wouldn't cost too much either in terms of compensation or in terms of money that they know is going to be better than Jimmy Garoppolo and has um, a better injury history as well. And, and, you know, Matthew Stafford is a name that people throw out there. And, and you know, yeah, I think that, you know, that would be something that would be of interest to them if, if that scenario were to be uh, a possibility. But I think more than likely you're probably going to see Jimmy Garoppolo get another year, but they're going to have to improve the position behind him because they just can't afford to be in this kind of championship window and lose entire seasons because you're, you don't know if your quarterback is going to be on the field or not. Jared Goff, uh, you know, you were there as he was rising as a quarterback uh, with the Rams, and now it just seems as though teams have kind of figured out what he does and how to stop him because it appears that, uh, yeah. you know, if you take away the the running game and you take away the play-action yeah. passes, you know, he's not the same quarterback. He makes more mistakes, he makes turnovers, and you can get to him. Right. Yeah, I, I think I think you're seeing a lot of this, a lot of the same things. Taking away the injury thing that you see that people have complaints about with Jimmy Garoppolo are the same that you see with Jared Goff, and a lot of it is inconsistency because Jared Goff from a clean pocket and like you said, when the running game is going and they can get their play action game going, he's as good as anybody. I mean, he can spin it. There's no question the guy can throw the can, can make all the throws that you ask him to make. But what is maddening is when there's some sense of pressure, and we saw this the other day where he was under pressure, I think more he was pressured more in their last game than he'd been at any point in his career, and he just struggles. He just can't handle it. And, uh, you know, another guy who is very, very highly paid, his contract, unlike Garoppolo's, the, the Rams can't really get out of it anytime soon uh, unless they want to just eat a huge, huge dead cap hit. So uh, I think he's going to continue to be the guy, and I think Sean McVay still believes in him. But you've got to wonder if that's going to be another team where maybe they do something similar to what Philadelphia did with, with Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts when they took Jalen Hurts in the second round last year where the Rams are, are, are grabbing a quarterback who maybe gives them a different element but also could potentially be Goff's replacement, and if not, is somebody that makes them at least feel better about their backup situation so that if Goff continues to struggle or shows those inconsistencies, they can give somebody get somebody else in there and continue to be competitive. So 
Uh, it's it's really interesting. I think that a lot of the the, the Niners and Rams quarterback situation is, is similar in a lot of ways because I think with Goff and Garoppolo, both have shown that they can play. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, it's just can they do it consistently week in, week in, down in, down out that we haven't necessarily seen, and for different reasons in, in both cases. But um, I, I think it's it's the thing that they're both going to have to really examine hard, especially given the amount of investment that they're making. On the on the positive side for the Rams, and I don't know how this all happened, but uh, you know, here's a team that since the Super Bowl has lost 11 starters and a, a slot cornerback uh, from their defense. You know, 11 starters on defense and a mm-hmm. slot cornerback, and yet they've emerged as the number one defense in the league, even though you can't name any uh, anybody in their uh, seven <laughs> players. I mean, you can name certainly uh, Aaron Donald, and you can name Jalen Ramsey and Michael Brockers right. and Leonard Floyd, but you don't even know the other guys and they are number one yeah i think i think they've done a really good job and i have to be honest john if i if i'm gonna if i'm gonna sit here and and, and break this down I, I i was wrong because i was i was surprised when they fired wade phillips and i and i thought it was the wrong move because it was one of those things that wade phillips is beloved and he had done a pretty good job not that their defense was dominant but it certainly hadn't been bad you know i think a lot of their issues last year can stem from kind of offensive inconsistencies that you're seeing this year um and and, and having issues that they had in the offensive line but they brought in brandon staley and it gave him an opportunity it's his first time doing the job and he's been very good and the thing i like about what brandon staley has done for them is he has built everything around his two best players he moved aaron Donald and Jalen ramsey around so much and puts them in positions to have success and to be kind of the guys who everything revolves around defensively for them and has done such a good job of it that I think it has elevated the play of everyone around them. And that's not to say that those guys around them can't play on their own, but I think they're, they're in positions where they don't necessarily have to be the guy who carries the load and they're getting a lot, you know, Leonard Floyd, for example, is getting more one-on-one matchups because a guy like Aaron Donald draws, draws so much attention or, you know, a corner like Darius Williams or Troy Hill is getting opportunities to make plays on the ball because nobody wants to throw near Jalen Ramsey uh, at those types of things that puts them in a position where they're really utilizing their star players in a way that gives the entire defense a chance to be successful. And then finally, what kind of evaluation do you have of Seattle? Yeah, I mean, they're just they're almost like a metronome, John. Like you have to admire their consistency and just how good they've been every year. And I know that uh, it's it's been really fascinating to watch because I think we all were kind of interested in seeing the the whole let, let Russ cook movement that we saw at the beginning of the year and how good they were with it. And then to see them kind of take a step back offensively here recently, but take a big step forward defensively. And, and that's a tribute to their coaching staff, which has done such a good job for so long. You really have to admire the work that they've done. The question is, can they put it all together? And, and I think if you're, if you're watching that team, it's a great time for their defense to be peaking. Um, and you feel better about their offense kind of turning it back around than you would about their defense trying to figure it out when you get to the postseason. You know, I, I think that's kind of the big thing when I watched them. Is I, I still think at the end of the day, you've got Russell Wilson, you've got Tyler Lockett, you've got DK Metcalf, you've got all these guys. They're going to figure it out on offense. You, you feel that way at some point. And if the defense continues to play the way it has and, you know, I didn't think there was any way they were going to continue to play at kind of the all-time worst level that they had had early in the season, but they've not just gotten better. Like they're playing legitimately good football right now. And so I think if they can continue that, they've got as good a shot as anybody to come out of the NFC, which to me, John, is as wide open as it's been in a long time. Oh, agreed. Hey, read Rick, Rick Wagner at ESPN.com. And Rick, thanks for joining us on Schooled with a Professor. Thanks, John. Talk to you later. 
And that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with the Professor. Thank you.